Hey there, people of soccer. This is ATL on Fire, the show where we'll be talking about everything Atlanta United Football Club. Sit back, buckle up, enjoy. Alright everybody, welcome back to another podcast. This is podcast number five. Moving along here, it's been a week or two, uh, two weeks since we did our last one. So we actually are seven games into the season. Another four games have, have passed since our last podcast. So we got a lot of lots to talk about from CCL to the first MLS, uh, or the second and third MLS games against Cincinnati and yesterday's game against our Philadelphia Union. Um, but as I uh, kick things off, I want to just go on a little bit of a rant about Frank DeBoer trying to bring the beautiful game, total football, to Atlanta. It's not happening as we would expect. And it's reminded me of one of my favorite Simpsons episodes, which is <laughs> total football coming to Atlanta. It's fast kicking, low scoring. Ties? You want ties? We got them. Remember that. (laughs) You know, you'll see all your favorite stars like Martinez, Martinez 2, Barco, Tito, and Leandro Gonzalez Perez. But Frank, his system, I don't know. It uh, doesn't seem like it's uh, it's taking too much shape here. And uh, I don't know, Dave, uh, my uh, my co-host here. What do you what do you think? Um, well, I'm going to start out by saying episode five. That's four more episodes than I thought we'd get to. True ever. that. So, so true. congratulations to ATL on Fire. <laughs> and what are we about here at ATL on Fire, Dave? Well, we know a lot about soccer. We know a fair amount about MLS. Um, we know a fair amount about Atlanta United, but we're going to talk about it all. Indeed we are. And uh, Oscar Aku. O- Oku, that's close Oku, enough. and we've known each other <laughs> 10 years, and I've, I've tried to get your last name yeah, it's, correct, it, it, but trust o- me, Oku. That, that, o- trust me, that's closer than most people get it. It's like DeBoer or DeBoring. Yeah. yeah. It's about the same thing. <laughs> but Oscar... Well, I, yeah, I want to touch on that. Um, after the, the first home game against Cincinnati, we were on the train, and uh, somebody got on the train, and they overheard myself talking to some of, our fr- some of my friends, lamenting the fact that the possession domination, but the lack of shots on goal. And this guy said, well, that's because our coach sucks. And that was after the second game. And I just, and I, and I, he and I got into a little bit of an argument, but I think he knew where I was coming from, where I was just saying, I'm not happy right now, but I'm still don't think, I still don't think I'm ready to totally throw in the towel and say, this guy's going to be bad. I mean, I, 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 who knows? By the middle of the season, yeah. I may be in that camp. Right. I may, you know... But right now, I just uh, for me, three games don't really make a trend. I don't. I mean, maybe there's still some an adjustment period. Granted, the when I look at the numbers, out of nine possible points, two, um, two goals in three games. Uh, again, Sunday, 74% possession, two shots on goal. I, the numbers are not very positive. But I, for me, I still uh, I'm not ready to totally give up. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to remind some listeners that, you know, so Alex Ferguson, who had a fair track record over a number mm-hmm. of years, right, was almost canned 
Exactly. I think in his second year and only took a miracle FA Cup win for even for him to retain his job. And then the rest is history. Exactly. Um, so, you know, anybody who's talking about running the coach out of town after, you know, five games, six games, whatever it's been, I think it's a little premature. I'm not saying yeah. we can't be discussing yeah, I, we can't, <laughs> this was This was going to be my rant, which was uh, the people who been, who were saying that. And then a little bit of the, the first 36 minutes had me wanting to just join that bandwagon for a second yeah. in, in the last game. But, yeah, I mean, clearly, you know, you have to give the guy some runway. You know, we lost our best player. You see how impactful Miguel mm-hmm. Almiron is at a, a club like Newcastle with a bunch of other quality players. And you realize, like, what a gap that guy mm-hmm. left behind, even with P.T. Martinez coming on board, trying to fit into a new coaching system. A totally new new vibe. I mean, there's yeah. got to be a bit of a hangover. I mean, from winning the MLS Cup. I mean, come on, we are at Magic City. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, having said having said that, you're blaming it all on Magic City. Huh? <laughs> Conspiracy theory again. The, the, the having said that, I do again. Well, I do as I said that I, I want to give him a little more of an opportunity to prove that a system will work here. I still sometimes have questions. Like, for example, I'm sure he's a wonderful human being. But I'm just, I just, I'm trying to understand why Mikey Ambrose is getting so much play. I would wonder the same. Yeah. I don't know if it's because he feels it fits, he fits his system more. Um, I just, I, I'm having a hard time understanding it. And then there were a few other situations where maybe last last Sunday where uh, Tito didn't play. I, I thought Tito didn't play because he was resting him for Mont- the Monterey match, and then Tito didn't even start didn't start Mont- against Monterey either. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to understand some of these some of these decisions especially when I look at the team and I think to myself that there's need there needs to be a little bit more of a spark yeah and I have a theory before your theory I was <laughs> yeah. I was I was just to comment on Mikey Ambrose and, and yeah. Dave and I were agreeing like he just um, you know I don't think he's got the, the hard skills to, be, to play in Frank's system so I'm kind of surprised yeah. he's given as much time as, as he's gotten and it's clear he's his confidence isn't there to take people on, mm-hmm. which is what you need in that position in this system where he's kind of on the opposite side, even with Breck Shea, just kind of filling the in-between by not doing much offensively and not doing much. Exactly. He's exactly. just like he's a just, filler. He's just kind of there. Yeah. I just I remember that game, the first, that first game against DC United. At one point, I think it was probably middle of the second half, and we realized the only two times that his name was called – was when he took a throw in and when he committed a foul. Yeah. And and look, I, I think he's still a fairly young player, so I think hopefully there's some upside mm-hmm. for him to mature, but there's definitely some things in his game that he's going to have to get some confidence before he, he really breaks through. I don't know. Well, Ambrose, keep in mind, Ambrose is a fullback, like a true fullback. Yeah. He was never meant to be a winger, yeah. right? So uh, you're asking him to do, you know, I mean, you know, we'll get into it, I think, a little bit later. But, you know, when Parkhurst ended up in the left wing, you know, position mm-hmm. in this last game, you know, this is not something that Parkhurst is meant to do either, no. right? Yeah. One thing that's so important in coaching is um, to allow players to be in a position where they can play to their strengths. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mikey Ambrose is not playing to his strengths no. as, a, as a winger. No. Yeah. Well, that, that, and that even begs the question even further... Again, you know, I want to preface this by saying I'm not condemning DeBoer and I want to give his system a chance to work, but just another question of why? What is the thought process behind <laughs> some of these decisions? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time going over the fact that, like, you know, why do you see the team, how the success of the team over the first two years and then decide you're going to change what brought on that success? Because you are now the manager. You have your own, you, you know your system. You want to have your own system. So, but even, but that still is a little, that, that I do wonder about that, but then maybe that's more of a question for management, why they chose this person that they knew had a, maybe a style that was different than what had brought success to the team. So Oscar, you jumped the shark on my key part of my, <laughs> my interview process with the guest. Oh, you got oh, a sorry, of which I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect nothing less from you <laughs> to dive right in, but I got to ask my first question okay, okay, to okay, all sorry. the guests, which is... Before we get into the details of, of what we're talking about now, I want to know a little bit more about how you became an Atlanta United fan. Okay. Why you care? Like, why would you even be in a podcast and I talking about Atlanta United? I know you have a son who plays soccer. I don't know how much um, soccer has been a part of your well, history. It's funny because it, it, the truth of the matter is, my my son Declan, that David coached at one time, is a big reason why I'm back really heavily involved in the soccer. Because I, you know, as a kid, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't in Nigeria a long time. But I was born there, and we lived in London for a while. And, you know, so I, I thought I, I love soccer, but then we moved to the United States. And, and of course, when I was, I'm older than both of you. And so soccer wasn't as big when I was young in, in, in the United States. And right. then my, and I had, then my son was born and he really started getting into it. And I mean, my daughter played a, little, a long time ago, but she didn't stay with it. But Declan really, Declan started wanting to watch games. We started watching EPL together. Um, and that's when I started getting back into it. It was like yeah. just sitting there on Saturday and Sunday mornings watching EPL with my son. Um, so then when it, you know, Atlanta United was handed the franchise, um, you know, I went to, I didn't buy season tickets right away. I, I bought the four game package. Mm-hmm. He and I went to two of those games and we were like, we're all over this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, so yes. it's like that two, that two game package, yeah. you know, went call them and said, hey, convert this to, Season tickets. Yeah. We're all over this. Cool. And it's, and it's, um, thoroughly enjoy it just because, I mean, I, I've said numerous times and I'll keep saying it. It's the most fun experience in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've been to some Falcons games. I could, I could give a crap about the Braves. The Hawks can be fun. I don't, I don't get as much excitement watching it going to Falcons, but this, to me, I think maybe it's because Atlanta, part of it has to do again, the fact that, this is something we can all were with in its infancy. Yeah. And that's a big part of it. And a lot of us are coming from like other parts of the country. So we may have had other favorite teams in football and baseball and other sports. But since soccer is start, hopefully, hopefully starting to explode, we're here on something that's on the ground floor. So, I mean, that's to me, when you say why I'm a big Atlanta United fan, that those are, those are all reasons yeah. why. And like, I, I mean, I was thinking yesterday on the MARTA train, you know, just going down and just seeing everybody exactly getting on MARTA yep. with Atlanta United gear on. I'm like, I just, I'm, I keep shaking my head. I exactly. Just, I, I don't know what's going on. And I mean, I probably run into you three times randomly on the, the MARTA going down to games. And it's just like, yeah, you meet friends and people along the way. It's just, it's so un-Atlantan it's, it's so un- Atlanta in that way. That <laughs> it's it's totally, it's kind of awesome. I know what you're saying, dude. I know exactly what you're saying. You know, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just, even, even, cause I'll be honest with you, I, I, I love, I love Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but I was curious, um, when the games were at Georgia Tech, because that was a little more intimate, I did love the fact that when we walked, you know, you'd walk underneath that tunnel mm-hmm. and it would be really loud. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I and you people would be chanting, and I thought that was that just yeah brought, brought chills to my spine, you know. But um, it's that's it's gotten even better. Yeah, at the stadium. So Dave and I usually uh, uh, you know tailgate uh, in in a parking lot, uh, kind of away from the gulch and yeah. where a lot of the activity is, and it's it's nice and laid back. But I went down into the gulch. For the first time, when I saw it a couple weeks ago, yeah, right? for, and and you know down there where the Wild Heaven beer tent yep. is, and Nick, thank you for the the freebie uh, beers, the uh, citrus emergency drinking beer, and I'm not much of a, a citrus beer guy, but damn, that was actually amazing beer. Um, definitely, I could see getting some of that for the the pool this summer, um, but uh, yeah, that whole scene down there was literally just out of control with the the flares going on i mean i guess i'm an old man but i just thought it's too much for me but it was cool to no, cool to sh- see it all you should have i don't know, you should have been there for the that championship game oh, was one okay. of the best nights of my life i mean yeah. we because and the thing is it's funny how it was cold and it was raining yeah. but we um <laughs> that the the that footy mob tailgate the t- they got this huge tent dj was mixing People were dancing. I thought I was in like some European rave. Yeah, I'm telling you, because it was like <laughs> this is pregame. It was just incredible. And then you know it's, and now even now, I mean the whole thing with like the the supporters groups getting together and parading out from the gulch into yeah. the game. Um, and then you know even it's. I thought I was. I thought it was awesome yesterday, last night. I was. I mean, we weren't happy with the result. Mm-hmm. But it was just pretty cool, you know, seeing because where our seats are, the teams will come in and out. You and, and the, the the fervor, the way that the enthusiasm of people who were still ra- chanting and cheering for the guys as they came through. Yeah. Even though I know we were all disappointed because a one-one draw against Philadelphia is not the result that should have occurred. Yeah. And even I think um, I'm thinking I'm. I hope I'm not. Jumping ahead again, but no, I'm you're all like, good. You already went to the, the history. You're, now you can just run with it. I'm sorry. When Miles Robinson walked out, walked through. Yeah, it's just awesome to see the way people appreciated the fact that like he was a stud last night. Yeah, and oh, he, yeah. even if I mean, granted, we're going to talk about his like the two obvious tangible things he did where he stopped the balls going in. But even <laughs> if you take that away, oh yeah, he's stellar. He's yeah. been he's been very strong this year. Yeah. His one-on-one defending has been spectacular. Exactly. Absolutely spectacular. Yeah. He has manhandled so strong. He yeah, showed yeah, speed, strong. and he showed balance, yeah. and he is, you know, he hasn't got, he's just been terrific. Yeah, yeah and I think his his uh, vision smarts, as he gets more experience, are going to make that even, you know. Yeah, some people have said, oh, you know, maybe Tata didn't want to play him as much because, you know, he wasn't as confident playing the ball out of the back, mm-hmm. but... He's looked pretty He's good. Looked pretty good. Yeah. And, and, you know, I remind people that, you know, Tata started him in one of the biggest matches of the year at New York City FC. Yeah. He played 90 minutes. So, you know, he clearly had confidence in him. Yeah. So I, I talked about the Simpsons and we got ties, uh, lots of ties <laughs> in the MLS here. And, mm-hmm. yeah, we, are, we talked about, uh, you know, DC United, who already is looking great with uh, the, the results yeah. they've been getting. And, and we knew that was going to be a tough first game out of the gates. But... You know, I'll be honest, like the Cincinnati and the Philadelphia ties are pretty weak. Exactly. Uh, there's just no way to describe that in our home field mm-hmm. with a lot of possession and uh, particularly the Cincinnati game 
not as many opportunities on goal. There was definitely opportunities on goal yesterday. Exactly. But the Cincinnati game, that was just, yeah, and, and again, two team. very different games, and we can discuss them both. But they're two very different yeah. games. So even though the same exact, same result, exact no, you're right. You're right. Place, but, were, but you're right. There were more opportunities last night, and the Cincinnati game was just. I, I just I really had a bad taste in my mouth in that game. I was yeah. even when we were up one nothing. I kept thinking if we win this game one nothing, this is disgusting. This is just not. Yeah, but didn't Cincinnati win yesterday? They won three not three nil. Yeah, 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 against Portland and then yeah. the MLS Cup Finals. So I mean, and that was yeah. at Portland. Was it at Portland? That was yeah. at Portland. Yeah. yeah. So no, I thought that's that, a good I, win. That's a huge. That's a great one. I thought. I, people, I thought I heard people saying that it was their first home game. Yeah, I thought they did have their first. Was it their first home game? game? I thought it was at Portland. I yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was their first home game. game. Yeah, I thought it was at Portland. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just having trouble getting my brain to go back to the Cincinnati game specifically. But um, well, so the Cincinnati game, right? Like, okay, so. DeBoer wants to play his style. You know, I've heard it described as DeBoering. Yes. Right? He wants to possess, wants to keep possession. Um, that game, from a possession standpoint, you know, went the way he sort of might have wanted. Like, we controlled it. Um, you know, we were a tired team after the Champions League exploits. You know, we had control of the game the entire time. Um, you know, afterwards, he would say that, look, you know, we have got to get more... You know, I think he recognized the problem. He has got to get more dynamicism up front, more movement, right. more runs, or whatever. But he would argue, look, nevertheless, um, you know, uh, we controlled the game. We walk away, one nothing, no problem. What I don't understand in that game, in addition to the formation and the three four three and all these things that we can talk about, right, is you're up one nothing. That late in the game, you know your team has had all of these exploits in the Champions League. Don't you think you would have said to the wingers, okay, let's just be a little bit more conservative. Let's, you know, instead of being all up, we'll be basically five in the back and let's kill this game off for the last 20 minutes, get out of here with a win and we'll regroup. But there was nothing in it, right? No acknowledgement of the situation or anything. And it, it reminded me of... Going to Monterey with no, you know, you know, no, you know, defensive posture there either. You're like, that's yeah. totally tactically naive. Mm-hmm. And I know he wants to play total football, and I know he wants to be uncompromising. And Tata, of course, is a, you know, last year is a perfect example of this. Often, you know, the first game of the year last year, the last game against Toronto, was clearly a problem of him being uncompromising about the way he would go about it. So, you know, you could argue DeBoer is the same, and that can be a strength and a weakness. But, you know, as a new coach, beginning of the season, and then at Monterey, where you're going into a Mexican powerhouse, I think that's naive. And then coming home, knowing that you haven't gotten off to a bigger, you know, a great start, right? You have the one nothing lead. It hasn't gone so well. Why not just kill it off and say, let's get out of here one nothing? But... That goal that they gave up, the equalizer in Cincinnati, right? What happened was it came from the left, right? And Parkhurst was playing right back, right, of the three, right? And he was there, and he could have come over, but there was a guy back, right? And Gressel was still 40 yards up the field as the wing guy, right? And so Parkhurst never had the time to come over because he had to, he had to stay at home on his guy, 
right? And it was suddenly like gaping hole, right? And they scored the equalizer, right? And so to me, never, ever, ever would have happened. All you had to do is say to, to Gressel, don't change the formation, just let's be a little bit conservative, only go forward if there's a really great opportunity. He's back then, Parkhurst comes across, and the goal never happens. Yeah. <clears throat> so mm. one thing I'm hopeful for is a little bit more stability now that we're beyond the CCL. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. That, that's yep. in the rear of your meal. Because I, I think just seeing Parkhurst play on the right, the left, yes, and in the center – and yesterday, furthest up the field I've ever seen him. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I've questioned that, that. Yeah, that in other players that you know we saw remedy way out of his normal comfort mm-hmm. zone yesterday, and, and maybe that's by design so he can evaluate what he's got. I don't know. I'm not Frank DeBoer with uh, as much soccer experience, but to me, it definitely seems odd that you know someone like Parkhurst has been playing in all three areas in the backfield uh, without just keeping him in the center of the field where he's proven he's the, the staple guy and let Miles play out on one of the sides where he can use his athleticism and uh, LGP as well. I just, I'm, I'm confused on that part of shoring up our defense and bringing mm-hmm. some consistency. Well, maybe oh. you can weigh in. I have, you're getting very close to my rant, which is coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not the one who's supposed to rant, but I, I I have one, but I go feel, ahead, Oscar. You, no, you no, tell no. me what you're going to say. <laughs> no, I, I, that's been the question since that very first game when I saw Parker's not in Central. I, 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 don't underst- I didn't understand it. And it, it's, you know, again, I, as you said, I don't have the breadth of experience that Frank DeBoer has. And I don't know, maybe he feels like he saw something or maybe it fits more of his overall scheme. But I, it, it's, when I watch it, I just don't think that Parkhurst really has. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, it's one of these things where you're losing something by tr- by doing that. It's not even. I don't know if you're adding anything by having him play on the left or the right. But I know you're definitely. To me, you're definitely losing something. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so that's why. I don't, that's why I, don't, I really don't understand it. I think he's really afraid of Parkhurst's lack of pace in the middle, and mm-hmm. and he. In a back three, he's always been worried. He needs a guy in the middle who can have speed and recover and do things. And so, in particular, he has said that when they're playing against a faster or maybe a little bit stronger forward, he has insisted on Miles Robinson being in the center. Sure. And that's to the fault of Parkhurst because, of course, Parkhurst, you know, the thing that he does the best is read the game, right? Mm-hmm. So if he has the other two guys, Miles Robinson, LGP, marking up and battling in front of him, he can play off of that, and then he's brilliant. When he is now has to be the guy who's battling, you take away again his strength, which is really reading the game. And whether or not Robinson can read the game, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, he's been pretty good. I actually think at a center back, there's been a few times that he's been really tactically naive. And that's despite the fact that he's been brilliant one-on-one marking, yeah. right? But in terms of helping out when someone else got beat, he hasn't had the right mm-hmm. known when to step and not to step and when to sense the danger. He's been a little bit late coming over. He's been a little bit out of position to be the help defender. Yeah. Well, what, do you, what do you think about LGP moving up a spot, as in being a wing back? I, you know, I, I actually have said for, for a long time that I thought that LGP should be a wing back yeah. because to me, again, 
You know, it's all about player strengths. What is LGP's strength? His strength, uh, going to the ball and beating his guy to the ball, very, very good. Like uh, even on a, a goal kick or a, a goalkeeper kick or a long ball, he beats his guy all the time. See that last night, like he chested the ball. Yeah. And I was just about to say. I was just about to say. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought he had a couple of decent runs last night too. Yeah. Where, yeah. where I was, where I saw, I it wasn't until he got past midfield that I was like, I looked at my son and said, "Wasn't that LGP?" Yeah. yeah. Most defenders get to a certain point and the panic button goes exactly. off. And they're like, I got to give it to someone else. He's exactly. not afraid to just keep going. Yeah. If they backed off him, everybody's looking for him to play the ball. Mm-hmm. And that one time when he got fouled, well, he made a 40-yard run. There was exactly. one moment where he split the defenders because everybody was expecting him to pass. Right. Right? And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, if you're not going to step, I'm going to keep going. Good. So he can do that. And he's very good with the ball at his feet. He's very so, good. Yeah, yeah, he's very good with the ball on his feet. He's insanely athletic. Like he can go win the and ball, and he's strong. And he's strong because there are a couple times where yeah. they, they, they they put a body on him, and he was able to maintain possession and keep dribbling just yeah. even after getting checked. Yeah, but it, defensively, I think he is too vulnerable for whatever mental focus he has lapses. Yeah, and for whatever reason, at the end of last year, he was shored up, and maybe he pr- can progress through that to the the end of the season and, and repeat that. But it, we're seeing the same mistakes he made last year this year on defense where he's just not completely uh, stuck in, uh, you know. He has those lapses. It got better as the season went on Mm -hmm. last year. I think the other thing where he's really weak is in um, covering through balls. He at some times gets caught real flat with no anticipation that there's a through ball coming and somebody can get behind him because he's so late in reacting. Yeah. Right? And so again... I think that's because his first instinct is to attack and to beat the guy to the ball. So if he's got a Parkhurst behind him, no problem because that through ball Parkhurst is reading it all day, right? And Parkhurst is like, you know, only thing I can't handle is if the guy, you know, want to battle at midfield, I can get beat. But if you want me to cut out that through ball, I can do it all day, right? So they become a perfect tandem with Parkhurst a little bit behind LGP. But with LGP... As, again, the guy reading the game, you know, I think he's very, I'm not saying terrible, but, but that's he, not, that's not his strength. That's yeah. not. So let's take maybe a few minutes and talk about uh, the Monterey series. Uh, going down to Monterey, having a pretty good showing, uh, in my opinion, with, you know, only being down one nothing, uh, And then, you know, looks like we're going to be able to leave there with a, a one-point Oh, when we were done with it. Yeah, a one-point loss, and then the wheels fall off in the last 10 minutes. Admittedly, I did not watch the first – I didn't see the first half of that game. Um, I was looking at my – I was checking the score, and – I watched. Let's see. Apparently, I watched the the worst half. I just I thought to myself. I mean, these guys are good, but I, I just seem like disorganization. Yeah. I mean. That's one thing I will say. Like Monterey, like as good as they they are in the uh, Liga MX, like they did not really like impress me that much. They They weren't aggressive. The the, the second the second leg here, I thought that they were a very strong team. I thought they looked good. They thought I thought that was a very good game. But I was saying like when I watched the second half of the first game, even though they scored two goals, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't as, as impressed. Yeah. I'm sorry, two goals in the second half. Yeah, was, yeah, oh, yeah. It was two goals in the second half, so yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, the, the the wheels came off the bus in the last 20 yeah. minutes, yeah. and 
it was like a sieve that like, it, was. it could have been six in the yeah. last two so years. the only thing I'll say with again that was the first time I really started questioning Frank DeBoer which is the lack of substitution when you know you got all these games coming he talked about it mm-hmm. and you're not rotating guys out you know at that point knowing you got a one nothing or you're only losing one nothing you can come back to Mercedes Benz put in some defensive guys that you know can sure things up and maybe mm-hmm. Martinez will or whoever's up front can can stick one in right and you end up leaving there one one at best case scenario but then you don't make subs proactively and yeah he like he said oh, no one looked tired but well clearly they were and the wheels came off and we lose three nothing and it's over, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, and then in the 90th minute, he's bringing on Lorenowitz. I know, 90th. What the fuck is he doing? Like, 90th, I know. That. Why would you bring on Lorenowitz in the 90th minute? I, I just... You need a goal. I, if Frank's I here... At that point. I seriously... That point, once you've given up If two Frank's three, sitting here, I would, like, want to know why would you bring Lorenowitz on in the 90th plus minute? That's discombobulated. You know, I, I actually... People were livid that, you know, he didn't make the subs earlier. I'm like, look... The team, you know, there's something to be said when the team is kind of coherent and playing pretty yeah. well together, just just riding it out. And you can actually go. I think a lot of coaches are very afraid to go a 90 minutes or close to 90 minutes with the starting 11. And I think that's a brave decision. My my critique would be that going to Monterey, insisting on still playing three in the back, meant that they had to work so hard. And that's what caused them to be dead in the last 20 minutes, Yeah. right? So to me, that that decision and what happened in the last 20 minutes was a, co- a consequence of what happened over the first 70, right? In that there was no willingness to say we're going to be extra in the back. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> they had actually legs in the last 20 minutes, Yeah. right? So I think a couple of the decisions that have you know, manifest late were actually due to things that happened early. And and I, and I, I we're getting closer and closer to my, my Philadelphia Union rant. Yeah. Which is so, let me, so let's jump to the second leg and get to Philadelphia yeah, but, while it's fresh in the mind. I thought, like, I watched the game. I was in uh, New York. I was watching it on my laptop. And I thought we played really well in the second leg of Monterey. Personally, I was, I was actually pleased. Second leg of Monterey. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah so, I, I agree. No, I agree. Yeah. I thought they. I, I, I mean, I, there were some unlucky opportunity, unlucky situations there because I thought there we had some opportunity to score early that just didn't pan out. Yeah. But I think no, I was. Yeah, the Martinez chance early was a good oh, one. big one. Yeah, because yeah. a matter of fact, I mean, after that game, no, it was near the end of the game. Near the end of the game, I remember sending a text to an usual group text, just saying, "We're probably going to be out of the Champions League after tonight," but. Hopefully this is, I, I remember yeah. saying, hopefully this is a trend because I'm seeing some good things tonight. Yeah. And, and I like, was hoping that that meant like, that there was, that was going to carry over into the MLS because I, I was, I was happy. I was impressed at that. Even though, even though we were out, I just thought I saw some really good things that night. And the offensive, uh, you know, final third, like just the way they are touching the yeah. ball around real, real tight, uh, you know, you know. Like you said, Barco had slotted a couple balls through. Like there was some really nice movement. I was going to say that was one of the things I texted too because that was, a, I, you know, I got an argument with somebody about this last night. It was funny. We were arguing about this, and 15 seconds after our argument ended, that's when Barco scored. Because yeah. I was telling them that I thought that Barco had been playing really well this yeah. season. I think, and, I, and that Monterey game. I think yeah, I think that Monterey game. I, I remember saying I sent one of the texts I sent out was that 
he was playing on a different speed than everybody else. And Barco's been one of the players I've been most impressed with yeah. in, in the beginning of the season here. I know people are down on him, but I think he's been uh, bringing it on to, to a different been. level. And I'm optimistic that once the chemistry starts to happen between Nagby, PT, and Barco, mm-hmm. which they – look, these guys have never really played exactly. together true, before. True, true, true. And they all have very similar styles. They're very good on the ball. And they like to play those little short little hold mm-hmm. one two little passes. That once they those three figure it out, that Martinez is gonna get his get his chances. But until those three really figure it out, it's not we're not gonna have the breakthrough, especially in Frank DeBoer's system. Until those three really start to gel, and that Monterey game, in my opinion, was the first. That second leg was the first time I started to see a little bit of that. And you know, I mean, especially PT, a couple of those goals had they gone in, would have been ESPN goals of the year. Um, <laughs> yeah, he can really hit a ball. He can. Oh, <laughs> he my can. goodness. I, that's, that's, and that's why, I like, people got to stay calm because that's not luck. That's just a matter of time is what that's called. I mean, those are going to come, and you're going to be like, holy shit, did you see that shot, that PT shot? I mean, that's mm-hmm. those games are coming for us, so I'm just telling Atlanta United fans, take a deep breath. Because PT is going to have some of those laying yep. in the upper ninety. It's just a matter of time. That's not. That, he's been doing that his whole career. So he could deliver across too. I mean, yeah, that's great. His left foot. So is, on yeah, on to Philadelphia because yeah, there was a couple in that game and, and Gressel as well played some nice balls in. But he made a pirouette turn too, and late in the Philadelphia game that was pretty magical. I mean, he turned on a dime PT? on some guy. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, it was like the guy was like, "Where would he go?" Yeah. <laughs> like, it was amazing. But um, yeah, Philadelphia, another disappointing tie. Well, let's let's finish. I was going to say the the Monterey. My take is I agree with both of you. I think that they were much better. The goal, the gorgeous goal, Martinez scores is. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The early ball from Barco to Martinez, where I thought he, the goalkeeper made a terrific save yeah, to yeah. read that because Martinez hit it super early yeah, it was and nice should have caught him right before he was trying to go down, and he really read it beautifully. Um, so I thought overall we were very good in that game, very tight overall. And uh, the only question I would say look, Monterey in the second, they have two halves in the, in the Mexican League, right? But in the second half, they haven't lost a game. That's what right, I heard. Yeah, including exactly. to Tigres or anybody, yeah, right? No. And so that was their only loss of the the second half of the season thus far. So that's impressive. Um, the only and, question is, did they really come set out to say, "Look, we've got a three nothing lead, and who cares yeah. if we get one nothing?" And I also I thought I also heard that that made, that was the first goal they'd given up. In it was the, the first goal they'd yeah. given up too. Yes. Um, now and it was a terrific goal. It was a great goal. It was a great goal. I mean, but I. I I don't know. I mean, I think what I saw from them, I thought I saw enough of an effort to make me think that they weren't saying, hey, you know what, we're already up 3 nothing." It seemed to me they wanted to win that game. Yes. Yeah. No, I think their their goal was to sit back, absorb some pressure. The defense is terrific and yeah. hit us on a counter, and they were doing that. Yeah. It was. They had some chances. We had some chances. It was a pretty open game. Um it was a it was a very well played very, game. It was a very good game. Yeah, but it's a little it, bit it cagey, like, a, like a Champions League match should be against two good sides. Yeah, but and, it was and a good look for Atlanta at the end of the day with that win. With uh, I'm sure La Liga MX fans being like, okay, that's at, at least them viewing that game. We had our moment. Mm-hmm. Yep. In terms of the Mercedes Benz delivering, I'm sure you know that's a good look. I mean, we were chatting with some some guys who drove 24 hours <laughs> to to to, be, to watch that. Oh, match. really? Yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. myself. 
Billy and um, and Brian Deutsch. No, Billy didn't go, but I, I was Nick Nick Purdy. After the game, these these guys, we start talking. They were wearing the the Monterey kits, and we start asking them if they lived here and just followed. And they said no. We drove twenty four hours. Wow. <laughs> you know, and and wow. and of course that evolved into a um, a discussion about you know. The whole wall issue because they're saying, they, <laughs> they, they you know, made it around the wall. Yeah, they, they drove here. You know, that's how a lot of people come here. They drive here and overstay their visas. You know, it's not There's like a, a wall. great big hole in the wall. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, no, we, we just we chat. We they they drove twenty four hours, and they were they were impressed with us, and they also of course were very impressed with the stadium. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean Mercedes Benz. Yeah, you got it. Weird. It's such a ridiculous stadium. It, it's ridiculous. It? Yeah. And that's the one thing. I talk about getting into this because of my son, but at the same time too, he's 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 not gonna appreciate how awesome it is because <laughs> he's like, oh, aren't all these all stadiums, stadiums like this, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then we'll watch an NYCFC match. Well, hopefully, you'll have something to complain about it later in the podcast when we ask you. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I got. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's got to yeah, be yeah. something. Oh, I, I got stadium. something to complain. I got. Oh, the roof doesn't open. Do I have to complain about sixty stadium? freaking degrees I yesterday? Know, that was that. We were we were, we were wondering about that. What? Yeah. Is, uh, that's what I'm trying to. Figure. What is the criteria to right. open up the roof? Right. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to figure out. It's got to be that they're still worried about it closing again. Exactly. They were worried about the pollen. I don't know. Open it. Oh, the pond. That's a good Yeah. Mikey Dobbs throwing a wrench in the whole yeah, theory. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. Maybe during pollen season, it cannot be open. So, Philadelphia, the game is fresh. That's we're, crap. we're there. And, yesterday. and I, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw I'm gonna throw my shout out on air. I'm a UConn Husky. Andre yeah. Blake, Philadelphia Union goalie, is a, is oh, a UConn yeah. Husky. Yep. So, whenever we play Philadelphia, I'm like, how can Andre look good and we still win? But yesterday's game, I, I going into yesterday's game, I was like, I know he's a UConn Husky, but we need to win this game three nothing. <laughs> yeah, we need he, to he get looks good. He looks good. David and I are saying he's one of the top. He is. handfuls of goalkeepers. I mean, the U.S. is blessed with. But, a and lot and of you good got Zach Stefan, Zach Stefan, you know, and Blake, I mean, and yeah, um, yeah. and who was it? Um, the Red Bulls goalie it was the Red Bulls yeah, goalie, yeah. NYC, NYCFC goalie. Who's also pretty good. New York City, yes. Yeah, so that's a, that's a, yeah, Johnson, so exactly. Yeah, yeah, he's real good. But I mean, I you know as much as I like to see UConn Huskies do well, I was hoping that we put a lot of goals in last night, and that didn't happen. That was very, it was very disappointing. Well, you can see how strong Blake is on like crosses and yeah. stuff like that. Like there was some decent crosses that like you get your standard MLS keeper, and he just he just was so well positioned. With he's some, tall. Yeah. He's he really and long he's quick. arms. He's quick. Yeah, yeah. he's good. Terrific goalkeeper. So yeah, last night, um, who, who played well for Atlanta? Well, Barco played well when he came in. We already acknowledged that Miles Robinson was was solid. Yeah. Um, I think Yosef made the most of his opportunities. Yeah. Um, and who else do we think played well last night? I don't think. I think Miles Robinson was particularly strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Nogby was. Terrific. Yeah, I thought those two were the standout yeah, in the game. But I, I thought overall there was really nobody who played poorly. I mean, I thought overall yeah. actually the the way the players yeah. played was pretty well. Except Dave and I, the game, all the players are warming up, and so we're trying to evaluate who the starters are, and mm-hmm. we went through and figured out everybody who was starting, but we couldn't figure out who was on the left side. So I'll let you take it from here, Dave. But yeah, the whole glaring situation of like who's playing on the left outside was 
what our discussion was while everybody's warming up, it was clear mm-hmm. that the subs were kind of knocking the ball around in their circle, and we couldn't add up what's the left side of our starting lineup. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> we knew we knew Ambrose wasn't going to play, right? I wasn't going to start, right. right? So he's been playing left back. We knew Breck Shea has been the other winger. He wasn't going to start, right? And so it was very obvious from the very beginning, that, and I applauded it, you know, DeBoer, like, Got to find a way to get Tito Viala in the yeah. lineup because, you know, you can lose him easily. He hasn't been starting. He's been pretty rested. He was terrific off the bench mm-hmm. on Wednesday, right? I mean, makes total sense, right? So you got to accommodate him. You got to get him in the lineup. Obviously, the Barco wasn't starting, so it seemed very clear that Villalba was starting for Barco, right? But if Villalba's starting for Barco, who's starting on the left? left. And the, the, the answer was the guy who didn't start, who was in the starting lineup, was Lorenowitz, right? Because they were playing with Lorenowitz, Nogby, and Remedy, all three of them, Gressel. So that's your four midfielders. So there was two possibilities, right? There had to be two possibilities. Either one, that one of the two wingers, Gressel or Villalba, was going to cross over and play on the wrong side, right-footed player on the left side, which is fine, right? Or two... They were actually going to go back to a back four, right? And LGP was going to play out on the left, and Lorenowitz was maybe going to be an extra center back. That was the obvious two two lineups. They came out, and the answer was stubborn as heck, right? So he brings in Villalba. He absolutely refuses to change the 3-4-3, and his solution was to play nobody on the left. Nobody, right? So, okay. So, not only does that make you lopsided, right? So, he had Gressel and Villalba both playing on the right, right? Pity's on the left, right? But Pity was really up top. He's one of the front three, right? So, the question is, who's on the left, either left wing back or left midfield or whatever you call that 3-4-3? The answer was no one, right? So, not only are lopsided offensively there's no one out there and maybe you say fine because pd's out there but okay what happens when we lose the ball and so i just started watching i was like who's going there when we lose the ball and from the moment the game started it was very clear the guy who was assigned to go there was remedy remedy was job was to get in the midfield and then when we lose the ball his job was to go out and cover the right midfielder and i was like oh my god because he was in, no, he was he, out, he was yeah, in, that, that, he was that, that out. Because I didn't notice all that stuff oh, you were saying. It was but so I, glaring but, no, from but our one, seats. No, was, no, no, just saying, the one thing I noticed last night was Remedy didn't look like he had a position. Oh, he was awful. It, it wasn't it, his it, fault. As a matter of fact, to the point where I remember we were talking about it afterwards, and and um, and Brian said that he didn't think Remedy, Remedy played well. And I, and I said to him, you know, I don't know if he didn't play well. It just looked to me like... He didn't really have a definitive place to play last night. So he was running back to left back to cover. And actually, he wasn't really sure because there were times when LGP was sort of like, I'm close enough, I could get there. And they were looking at each other all the time. You got him, I got him, you got him, I got him, I don't know, you got him, I got him. And honestly, there were at least four or five times where if Philadelphia had managed at any level to get the ball across. open over there. Bedoya, of all people, one yeah. of their best scorers, was 
camping. having his own campsite. Yeah. Like it was like nobody. There yeah. was nobody there because and the two of them looked at each other like the, I got it, you got it, and nobody had him. Is this your rent? Oh my oh god! god. <laughs> right? So yeah, it so, was crazy. Like, like that whole side of the field was like it wasn't being yeah, used. Yeah. It was so wide open. Other than like Midoriya and the Philadelphia players mm-hmm. just camping out, mm-hmm. saying somebody just crossed <laughs> just over. Just give me the ball. I'm wide <laughs> open. And they're not. They're clearly not playing anybody over here, yeah. right? So and and that would make sense if there was some advantage, right? Mm-hmm for us to be an offensive juggernaut on the other side of the field, but that clearly wasn't the case. No. Meanwhile, Gressel and Villalba are tripping over each other, running into yeah. each other. There was one time when they literally, they ran in and they didn't know who was going to take the ball because they were so close to one another, right? So it was totally yeah. overloaded. It was like, what do they call that NFL play when they overload the right side with the three tight ends yeah, and the yeah. whatever, and you try to get an end zone from one? That's what we were playing. Crazy yeah. new formation. But it was so stubborn. It was DeBoer saying, I will not change the formation. Even though we have nobody to play left wing, I'm still going to stick with a 3-4-3. Three, yeah. three. Right? And so what happened was, and here's the where it broke down. Right? Of all of the things, they actually didn't make us pay for that, that missing First part. Half, Although yeah. we almost lost our goalkeeper for the year. When mm-hmm, I think it was mm-hmm. Bedoya or the other guy, there was two guys exactly. open there, was wide open. He got the cross yeah. in, and, and Guzan almost got crushed because. Yeah. And on that play, there was nothing. He passed it out to the right guy, and he had. Yeah. He's like, okay, I can come in 10 yards and I can cross the ball. He could have kept yeah. coming, right? Anyway, so it almost got our goalkeeper killed, but we actually didn't get beat by it, right? We actually didn't give up a goal there, right? And we didn't get beat by it, right? But you know where it killed us and why the system is not working is because in order to break down teams, you cannot ask any team, as good as Atlanta United is, you cannot ask the team to constantly go through a defense that's already set up in two banks of four. And every time we won the ball in that entire half, it was won by one of our backs two-thirds of the way into our own end of the field, right? And so because of that, every single time we got the ball, they were completely set, the defense was settled, and we were trying to break them down. And the reason is... You're not going to break eight people down. Right. Well, maybe you can, but it's not going to happen very often, right? So the reason is... Nobody was winning the ball in the middle of the field because Remedy, when he was supposed to be in the middle of the field covering the quick counter, he was still way out on the left trying to cover that guy, not getting there, running back into the middle. He's in no man's land. He was in no man's land. He kept running back and forth and back and forth, and he was neither covering the guy out wide because he never quite could get there, and he was never getting back into the middle because he could never quite Mm -hmm. get there, and he was just running back and forth. Right, And so when he doesn't win the ball in the middle of the field, we never get a chance to break a team down with one or two passes. Okay, It was just a catastrophe. And we were talking about it for 20 minutes. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I don't know how many people noticed, but Frank DeBoer must have done something. Because all of a sudden, the craziest thing happened. LGP and Parker switched. Right? Parkhurst goes out on the left, LGP goes back into the middle, and people were like, what is going on? And I'm like, oh my God, he just switched to a back four to cover that. 36 minutes. 36 Mm -hmm. minutes. I saw it, I was like, there it is. That's why I'm upset, like Frank DeBoer, like you and I were talking about it for at least 
25 minutes. Yeah, we noticed it in the first seven minutes. I yeah. was like, oh my God, what's so going on? So, why did it take somebody who's a soccer mind 36 minutes to fix what was a, I mean, the whole, that whole side of the field was a complete train wreck. Well, I think that he, the reason why it took him 35 minutes, he knew about it from day one because yeah. he set it up that way. But he just thought, okay, we can handle it and it's going to be no problem and, and we can get away it. with it and we we'll, haven't scored yet. Yeah. But as soon as he saw the couple of plays in a row where he almost got the goalkeeper killed, okay. I think he finally realized. But I don't think I've ever seen an instantaneous shift to when we played four in the back. We started to look like the Atlanta United. The, of game, last changed. Year. the game changed. The, the entire game, game started, changed. Minus the shitty goal we gave up. Right. Uh, that was the Atlanta United. Because the the whole setups. Because was, I, I, through the first thirty minutes, I feel like it was 25, 30 minutes. At one point, I said, they showed up on the scoreboard, and I said, "Declan, look at that. Zero shots on goal. Zero. Yeah. yeah. Those first thirty minutes, we had zero shots on goal. Yeah." And then it did appear, you know, we were getting close to the end of the half. It seemed like we started getting our, because I think, yeah, it was it was late in the first half where Yosef hit the crossbar. Hit the crossbar, right? yeah. Because that's where we started getting. It seemed to start yeah. getting it going. We started to win the ball in the yeah, middle. So I mean, we got short lucky. field attacks, yeah. and all of a sudden, when we get short field attacks, now Gressel and Petey were getting mm-hmm. the ball with some space. Once they have a little space, oh my God, they look great. Yeah. Right. But you know, the other thing to me that was crazy, right? He makes the switch. He realizes it in the 35th minute, right? And he's still so stubborn, right? The obvious thing with the personnel on the field is the guy who's going to go out left is LGP, and Parkers goes into the middle. And he's still so stubborn that he doesn't want to play Parkers in yeah. the middle that he puts Parkers out there. And then what happened was, so because he's the left back now, when we go forward, he's the overlapping guy. And you now saw Parkers trying to break yeah. down the right back, yeah, yeah, trying to have. dribble at him. And we're like, oh can't do my that. God. Even Parkers called his parents at night and was trying to explain why he was up by the 18. <laughs> <laughs> like, hello. Like we haven't seen that since you know your your days up in New England. And I'm like, look, he's totally overthought the whole thing. He's got it in his head about this this Parker Speed thing, and then he's got the three four three, and it's got to be total football, and he totally inhibited. It actually got in the way of our team trying to play football. I mean, it was yeah. terrible. Deep breaths. I think it's time to maybe move on to MLS trivia. Um, are you ready for this, Oscar? No, I'm not, but let's go for it. All right, let's go for it. I'm grabbing my trivia sheet I'll here. I'll be honest, I didn't follow MLS until well, Atlanta United. If you haven't listened to the podcast, which I wouldn't expect you have, um, they're pretty tough. Yeah, so I, 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 yeah, I'm not don't, yeah, don't feel bad when, mm-hmm. when you get uh, a lot of zero out of ten. Wrong. But if you do get eight out of the ten. That's not happening. It's probably not going to happen. Right <laughs> is now. there a bonus for going 0 for 10? Yeah, exactly. Oh, there Did is I a bonus a... for over, 0 for 10, and that'll be a free six-pack of emergency beer. Oh, <laughs> For yeah. my friends at Wild yeah. Heaven. And, uh, all right. The first question, which is relevant to this season in the MLS. The only team this year with three wins and zero losses or draws is who? Dang, I know They're perfect I, this season. I want. I know whom I want to say, but I'm not certain that's the correct answer. I got this one. He doesn't have it. You should. I mean, of course you have it. All right. Time to guess. Uh, DC United? 
No, oh, it is Seattle, Seattle Sounders. Yeah, Dave's on it. Um, yeah, they beat Cincy four one. They beat Colorado two nothing, and they beat Chicago four to two. So, which is actually shocking because Seattle's the team that always gets off to terrible starts, yeah. and then they have these great. Oh, that's right. I should have known that because they, they talk because Jordan was, uh, Morris is back and he's been playing really well. He scored in he his scored, first game. Yeah, he scored. I thought he had a hat trick in his first game. Mm, oh no! Don't. Um, well, he had, he had two goals. I know he had a great yeah. first. Okay, yeah. go ahead. He had multiple. Okay. So, the second question is even tougher than the first one. I'm oh, sorry. God, the first one. Was Who are the two teams with zero wins and zero draws? So they got zero points. There's two <laughs> teams <laughs> that got zilch right now in the MLS. So, I'll go with. Toronto. I'll give you one of the hints. One of the teams no, we, we were hopeful to get their coach. Oh. Um, Oh, their new coach, or was he a current coach? Yeah, LA Galaxy? Yes. No, San Jose. Oh, oh right, San Jose. San Jose. Oh, right, right, that's right. one. I meant the new coach. The yeah. new so coach San yeah. Jose has, has got zero on the board. Who's the other one? All right, you're not going to guess. Uh, it's Vancouver. There's no way I wasn't going to guess that. Yeah. So San Jose and Vancouver yeah. are having the roughest starts, even yeah, though San Jose I, had not the, the worst record I, in the, the yeah, in yeah. the league last year. So yeah, makes bad start. All right, so this should be one you should get. All oh right. God, here we go. This superstar scored his first hat trick in the MLS. Wayne Rudy. Okay. All right, you got Wayne. Wayne <laughs> oh, I didn't even let uh, them finish yeah. the question. <laughs> oh, like, oh, yeah. I, like, I finally got one. I finally got one. All right. Okay. Yeah, they, they beat uh, they beat uh, Real Salt like five zero. I guess I missed the, yeah. the highlights of that. All right. It was seven zero. This should be a softball for you. Too. Oh God, yeah, that, we know how that goes. Yeah, but you never know. It's a number. Joseph Martinez signed a. Blank year contract with Atlanta United. Oh, jeez. How many this. years did he sign a contract with us for? Four? Five. Five. I was, oh, was he four yeah. or five? Oh, damn it. <laughs> I think it was four or five. I was like, all right. Oh, so you're, you're one of four. Yeah. Probably one out of ten. Right. Anyway. The longest tenured MLS coach oh, geez. is who? I don't think I would get this, but you should at least know his name. And I don't know his a lot name? of ML. And I don't know a lot of MLS coaches' names. I, don't I, mean, I might know like three, so that should narrow it down. Is he a former U.S. international? Yeah, he probably has to be. Where he's saying it. Um, he I began his coaching career in two thousand nine <laughs> in the MLS <laughs> for a. Mormon-oriented club. Oh, so out of Salt Lake, or out of Salt Lake? I don't know. Um, it's it's um, I don't know. Peter Vermees. Oh, Vermees. damn. Okay. Must be just longer than Ben Olsen. It's been around. Ben Olsen, two thousand ten. He's the ah, second most tenured. Okay. Yeah. See how I. They're I, both U.S. internationals. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Um, last night we missed this. We missed facing off against this Mexican star signing. Uh, for the Philadelphia Union, who's a big Mexican star, because he got red carded. Yeah, I read about. Oh, in his dude, I know this. Game. Oh, mother. Oh, I read. I I saw. It. I didn't. Even, oh. Carlos Vega. I can't remember who it was. Dave, you got this one. It's um. Aquinas? Was that his name? Is it, is it Marco or Mario Fabian? Oh, Fabian. Fabian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fabian. Yeah, I can't remember. Now. Um. All right. Now, now for some fun local 
questions. All right. Mercedes-Benz Stadium is over or under 300 feet tall? Hmm. Random. But my, my easiest, I mean, that one I'm going to 50-50 choice. 50-50. Over. over. You're correct. It's 305 feet, which is, <laughs> this is barely what it 30 is. stories high. Okay. Mercedes-Benz. It's a beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So how many suites does the stadium have? Over or under 200? Under. That's correct. It has 190 suites. You're on a roll, man. Yeah, you're on a roll now. (laughs) I would have had, I would, this is to educate our guests, man. This is how, you know, the ATL on fire, you know, when it's going poorly, we got the 50 50 choices and everybody's happy. (laughs) You don't have to know anything. The rookie of the year in 2018 in the MLS. Was who? Even if you get the team right, I say you get this correct because I would never have known. But if you even get the team he came from, I'll give it give it to you. Was he on the Red Bulls? Or the no. defender on the Red Bulls? It was Tim? not. It was not on the Red Bulls. But Tyler Adams. Made Tyler it. Adams. He no. He went to uh, the the Bundesliga team. Yep. Yeah, no, I know he did, but he was on the Red Bulls yeah. and went to Bundesliga, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's in Leipzig now. Exactly. Um, but so, so I'm saying. Well, that was not, a good guess. He no, wait, time out. So who is it then? It's uh, this guy Corey Byard. Is his name? Oh, oh, for Real Salt Lake. I don't know. Really? He did. He got it. Oh, okay. Okay. Was Was Tyler Adams a rookie though? Like, yes, I thought Tyler Adams was a rookie because I remember okay. I remember listening to an interview with Tyler Adams and his like uh, mentor. I feel like Rebels. it might have been his second year. Maybe. Yeah, maybe been okay. his second year. Yeah. All right. All right. So yeah, keep an eye on Corey Byard from Real Salt Lake. <laughs> okay. He's the WrestleMania. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. All right. Um, yeah, spoken like a true Atlanta United. Yeah, exactly. Right exactly. He's like, I don't care. All right, he doesn't play for Atlanta United. Well, no, he doesn't play for Atlanta United. He plays in Mormon country. Anyway, oh, right, so oh, yeah, whatever. I'm sorry. Monterey. That's right. This radio, they can't see me. The the Mexican club yeah. we play, which nickname is Rayados. What does that mean in English, Rayados? That's the nickname of the club. Ray Otto's, which I would have thought, Ray, like Ray is like you know, some sort of sunshine. Or I something was like in that. an eagle. Ray Otto's. <laughs> an eagle. It means the striped ones, which is kind of cool for. It's yeah. kind of very similar to the five. Could be us. Let's yeah, steal yeah, it. it. The striped ones, Ray Otto's. I thought I saw an eagle. Cinco Ray Otto's. So I think you got four out of ten there. That's actually not bad. That's so probably def- decent showing. Decent, decent showing, showing, actually. Whoopee. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta applaud the little victories. Yeah, 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 yeah. I suppose so. You're at ATL on fire. I think we I should have just stacked more so Mercedes Benz trivia in there. You were on a <laughs> on a run. All right, Dave. Now we're moving the segment to you, which is mainly about the fact, like when we play a, a club from a highly competitive league, like uh, Liga MX and Monterey and Los Tigres and all those teams that basically have you know four times the salary power. Mm-hmm. of any MLS club, just the way the rules are set mm-hmm. up. That's one of the main reasons, and, and Twelman or whatever his name was talking about that is one of the major reasons we've had so much trouble competing in CCL. What is it that MLS needs to change, not only in terms of CCL, just but being a competitive league in general, whether it has to do with the number of designated players or the way that they're just setting things up with franchises that are expanding because now we're diluting the amount of talent that you can bring in. So as we're on this, like that's what I've been thinking about. As we're bringing in all these these new expansion teams, how do you keep the quality 
at the level that we wanted to be in the league and with the economics also being what they are. Like, what are your thoughts there in terms of the MLS trying to get out ahead of that? If you're like a Don Garber, like what do you think is going through a guy's head like that? I was going to say, I don't know anybody. I, I, I can't speak about the economics or the financials. Is that also right? Is that those, the Mexican teams, they start playing, I think, in January. Yeah. So I don't know if it's feasible, if it's the MLS would allow it for the teams, the MLS teams that are playing in the CCL. You know, if they can, I, I, I don't get the impression they're starting their season train, their training any earlier. I don't know if they would allow them, uh, allow them to start playing friendlies. You the know, MLS teams. Yeah, MLS teams. We started earlier this year. It's not much. But, but I mean, I'm not, not much. But we didn't. Say, I mean, we didn't start because I remember because. Because yeah, Lagos trains Declan. Two weeks. Yeah, Lagos put trains Declan. I remember him yeah. telling him telling us yeah. when he had to go to Florida for training. Right. And it didn't seem as if it, that wasn't until maybe I don't know. It was like it seemed like it was like maybe late February or early. You know, I mean. Yeah, but early, it couldn't have been much earlier because we finished That's, the season. So true. Late. True. But, but the thing yeah, is, yeah. But the thing is, yeah. here's a question again: Do we want to be competitive against in, in the yeah. CCL? Well, I would so, argue what you're pointing out is a thing. You know, if, if MLS wants to go and. So when, when the CCL was formed, right, Liga MX was the dominant power yeah. of everything, right? So they had all the say in the world. So, of course, they chose the Champions League to start, right, when it does now, right, which is in the spring, right? And so the Liga MX teams are, they've had the whole first season and they're mm-hmm. a little bit into the second half of their season after their winter break. So they're rested. I mean, they are the definition of rested and in mid-season form, okay? Now, that doesn't follow... Their season follows the rest of the European calendar, but their Champions League season does not. So the Champions League in in Europe, for example, starts in the fall. And so if, if the Champions League here were to start in the fall, right, then we would be in playoff mode and they would be in first, you know, few weeks of the season and you would flip the script. But... But then I think I, I I don't know. But then you start getting a situation where they probably want the cease the the, the league to follow or to not happen between seasons. You know, because you're saying if we start in the fall, then our season ends well, October November. Um, and so I mean, do you want? Are you going to say you want those CCL teams to continue playing after the MLS season ends? No, no, no. We would, we would basically, we would wrap it up by. Um, All right, soccer. Because nerds. it's not a full like the European Champions League. They have Twitter. a break and then they come yeah. back in the spring. At but they, on fire the way it works now, right, is, is just a few month competition. Right? So if it started, you know, basically at the beginning also, of the season, August, September, it would be done by the time that echoes dots. Whatever. It wouldn't probably have to extend. It's possible you could have a situation where a team had to extend a week or whatever to play the final thing, but. That's the same thing it is in the Champions League now. They'll get to the the European Championship final. Have to extend beyond their league season. That happens usually the week after their season's done, depending on the league. Thanks, everybody. I just just think that if they want to be competitive, they need to put it. My whole thing is that it needs to be more consistent or in line with the regular season. Well, you certainly point out a you know a major thing is not only does the Liga MX have longer tradition and higher pay scale, but they also are right in mid-season right form. Mid-season, yeah. Now the interesting yeah. thing, one of the things that people haven't talked about a lot, and I kind of thought that the U.S. might ultimately have an advantage in the World Cup 
because unlike all the other rest of the teams in the world where the players are so tired after coming off of a full season, our MLS players play yeah. the World Cup right in the middle of the season, right? They are right in, you know, they're not wiped out like those European players are. And I thought, okay, if we have a an MLS-based core to our squad, they're going to be ready to go and not yeah. tired. But it hasn't happened. Because <laughs> how many do we have playing in the World Cup? Well, it turns out that a lot of our players, the the, the one-offs who are playing in Europe, are a lot of the, the players who are yeah. the, the... But what do you guys. think like the MLS has to do in general, like, without being like the experts on like how much we can play designated players, and but we're limited to three designated players, and that is basically a, a proxy of like how much we can pay certain people over some sort of cap that each team has. And I think that's only foreign players. So if you're if you're an American, then you don't have to have a designated player mm-hmm. tag to be able to pay over the the designated players you can pay over the pay the pay cap. Okay. Right? And the if you're American, you can't. So for example, one of the things they were talking about during our whole, you know, controversy where Almiron wasn't going to go and PD whatever, yeah. the alternative at the very early which wasn't going to happen in the end when if you didn't want to actually have to loan out Barco, the alternative was some people talked about um, Villa Alba becoming a naturalized citizen. Oh, yeah. really? Um, and then I think then he would have been not counted against the... But Villalba's not a DP, uh, though. No, maybe no. Martinez. Maybe it was Martinez. Okay. Which, yeah. They were talking about one of the players was yeah. considering becoming because a Because loaning Barco, I suppose it was never going to happen. Like that, mm-hmm. the economics of any team being able to pay his full yeah. salary on loan was never going to happen. But one of the um, things that, so Mikey Dobbs, I think the interesting thing you say, you brought up this whole topic as a way of competing, for example, with Mexico. And and, and from yeah. a world stage, if we were to increase the DP or, you know, basically give people more, you know, wiggle room to bring in, you know, fancier, more expensive players, that would upgrade the teams, right? And you would potentially compete against Mexico. The downside of that is twofold. One is you then would probably create what is true in most of the leagues, a sort of a two-tiered system where there's a top five or six. I mean, Spain's the biggest example of this with Barcelona, Real Madrid, and maybe a couple of others. Atleti's a little bit below those. That was what I was getting at with the expansion teams. Like... The way the MLS is now trying to set up to where now you can have the Nashvilles of the world compete. If you move to that, then can Nashville afford? Yeah, I mean, if you if you have a stadium, some of these MLS stadiums only hold you know fifteen, eighteen thousand, and there's no way that those they're going to pay that much money compared to Atlanta United that can you know get seventy two thousand. There's no way. So you would potentially create that two-tier so, system. And if, you could even drive out those little market teams where they might literally lose money and fold because they're trying to you know, compete. Just, just so, a point. I don't know. Like I'm, that brings up a little skepticism then about the whole fast expansion of what we're trying to do. Like, Is that the right way to go? Well, if, I, or are we hedging on TV and the MLS popularity of MLS TV making the monetary difference? I don't know. I don't see that happening. When I hear about fast expansion, granted, I think they're being a lot more careful. And this is probably just... I just always think about what happened with the um, NASL, hmm. which was the whole, like, just they just went crazy with the expansion. Mm-hmm. And I feel so far the MLS is being a lot smarter about that. Um, and, and, I think that, and I think part of that, too, is 
the salary rules that are in place now that weren't in place when the NASL was around. Yes. And I, and so I can sit here and say that it's it's unfortunate, you know, or we don't we because I don't know how many of us actually understand the rules of the MLS pay structure. No, but nobody does. Nobody Even does. the executives. <laughs> Certainly but, on ATL on fire we don't. You know, but but yeah, yeah. but but I will say that I do think that there's a reason for it, and I can understand this whole like yeah, only three DPS for team and. Um, and, I, and I think you, you have to do something like what Atlanta United has done in terms of the, the facilities, the you know, coaching, the, the, the infrastructure, the administration. I think those are going to be your ways to get the best players if you can't do it through the whole salary. And so I don't, I mean, I have my questions, but I understand their motivation behind doing it the way they're doing it. You hit the nail on the head for, for a guy who says he doesn't know that much about the start of the league. They started it right after the 94 World Cup, yep. and that was the whole motivation because the Cosmos and the NASL had unlimited salary. Exactly. Nobody could compete. A few teams tried to compete. In, they expanded, and then everything folded in a Exactly. Heartbeat. And they were like, we're not going to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole structure of MLS was built basically to avoid More that. Right, Although so. I would say if you want to upgrade, and we've talked about this maybe before, or maybe we haven't, but if you want to upgrade MLS, you talk about the coaches and players. I do. Upgrade mm-hmm. the refereeing. Oh, I know. If oh, you my God. Would bring in, if oh, MLS wants to pay a super yeah. high, I mean, we, we're finally seeing it now. Yeah. They brought in some of the commentators yeah. from the Premier League. They've bought them. Right, so they have excellent yeah. commentators. Where some of the early day commentators, of the MLS, were truly awful. Yeah. Um, but they also could import a couple European referees. They Why could, not go raid yeah. La Liga or the Premier League? We have for said a so many. We've said so many times that the refs are going to be the death of this league. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the refereeing sometimes is absolutely atrocious. Yeah. So there's obviously some good refs, and Lee actually um, went to high school with the guy who's the linesman in the game. Last night, and he was one of the three refs in the World Cup for representing the U.S. Um, uh, so we're talking about maybe seeing if we can get him on the show and talk about the state of MLS mm, refereeing. Nice. But that, I mean, I agree, and I'm sure he would too, in terms of you know how MLS refereeing is progressing and just kind of getting that that perspective of how important that is for the state of soccer. Mm. To you know, I would like to get him too because. So, you know, it's very easy to sit here and be like, those referees are clueless. But but I think one of the things I think, and I would like to hear him say, is that the MLS refereeing, I don't actually think these guys are clueless. I think that they are way too um, basically uh, tied to the letter of the law, Mm -hmm. right? And so they... Are they for some reason, whether it's through themselves or through the league, they do not feel comfortable in making subjective interpretations of the rules, right? So instead of using the rules to keep the the game fair, they feel like if there's a letter of the law, yeah. some handball mm-hmm. in the box, it's yeah, a penalty it's, kick. It's yeah. very American in it some is. respect. Like yeah. Right, yeah. Whereas many of the European referees have a little subtlety. Like we were talking last night and some of the refereeing decisions that, you know, a couple of the fouls that Atlanta and I got were pretty soft. But I was actually pretty impressed that, for once, there were a couple of what could have been extremely soft penalty kicks, and um, penalty kick calls, and I'm like, for once, the referee resisted that, and at least there was no penalties yeah. called. All right, we've gone deep 
in this podcast in terms of our, our dorkiness on some of the, the technicalities of soccer, which is great. But importantly, let's wrap this up with my favorite question, Oscar, mm-hmm. the all guests. What do you hate the most about Atlanta United? Which is getting a little easier this year as it's been a little <laughs> more frustrating. But honestly, as you said from the get-go, the MLS Cup Final is probably one of the best sporting events I've ever been a part of. There's not a lot to complain about. Even the martyr ride back for me last night was still joyous uh, to, to just be like, all right, that was awesome. Went down to an Atlanta United game. What do you hate, though, about Atlanta United? What do I hate? Yeah, it's harsh. It it's, it's, we're it's we're like harsh here with our verbiage. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be that literal. Like, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I would like to see. Granted, I mean, I'm not in position, and you want to win, but I just would like to see. You know, I like to see more of an opportunity given to some of the younger guys. I mean, have we haven't seen? Have we seen Bello? No, no. Yeah, apparently he's, he's been hurt. Yeah, he's been he, hurt. Uh, okay. he re-aggravated his knee. Okay. I think we'd have seen him yesterday, but evidently. And, and, he... and even then, I mean, I, and granted, I'm extremely biased here, but I mean, I'd like to see Lagos be given a shot. You know, I, I think I think I, I'm sorry. I think Lagos, Lagos a left-footed winger who exactly. could actually fit in a three-four-three exactly. system, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean actually, it, Lagos, you know, yeah. he's classically more of an up-front PD kind yeah. of guy, but he could actually fit as that winger. Is it, if mean, you're he, listening, Javar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're right, because I would have liked to see him play last year, but it even makes more sense now under this system. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't... It, it just seems... It, I, I just feel some... I, I just would like to see some of the younger... It may be more of an opportunity yeah. for some of the younger guys. Even... even uh, and I think back even to even earlier... In the early season, I, there were some games where... I didn't see as many younger guys playing as I thought I might. And I mean, that is the hope with someone like DeBoer, right? That he's actually paying attention to the twos. Yeah. And and looking at that talent, figuring out where they fit in the the bigger scheme of things. When that's at least the hope, right? That he's paying attention to Lagos and seeing where like a athletic, as he says, like runner, where you can get those waves of attack that Mm -hmm. he seems to want in his system. Uh, someone like that can play a role. So yeah. So so that so you asked the question for me. That's that's something that is on my mind. And, yeah. and then now, I mean, that's been up, that was my last year. But of course, this year there are different challenges and different. Yeah. And I so would this expect them to be would, experimenting with all that with CCL. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting now that we're moving on to a new phase. Yeah. So 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 this year, in terms of, I, I just you know what Dave was bringing up earlier in terms of like the stubbornness. Um, of our current manager, and, and I and I am in the camp where I would like to give, see him be given more of, more of a chance before I start railing against him. But I do feel sometimes in, you, in a there are times where you have to like you should you can see what's going on, you know what's going on, and instead of having to be feel like you're completely married to the way you want to start something, you should be able to adjust. Yeah. And just say, hey, well, you know what? And that's that's going to be my and thing. I want, I want to see what happens minutes. as the season progresses. If we continue down this track of having seventy percent possession and two three shots on goal, are we? Is he going to? Is he going to stay with his system, or is he going to think to himself, well, you know, this team had been successful playing it different way. Can I? How can I adjust my system to what brought this team success? Yeah. So I mean, and, and, so I would like to see that. And, and then when you talk about like what I. And, and you know, and I think this question has to do with the the whole administration, and I guess also the dome, and 
we, we were talking about earlier, I hate the fact that the roof is never open. I don't know. They're not. To maybe they're it's not telling us. Maybe they're not telling us the reason. That's a better. Yeah, that's a better case. Maybe they're not telling us the real reason. Maybe they're not. Maybe yeah. they're not telling us that the roof. It's leaky. It, it, yeah, it, it, but but. I, I, yeah. I, it just seems as if so, last night would have been a perfect early opportunity. spring day that we yeah. don't have that open. I'm so I, I I would love to see I'd love to see the roof open. Right. I, I don't know. We we'll see we'll see what the deal is there. I'm going to combine two of Oscar's rants into a secondary kind of criticism, right? So everybody's criticizing DeBoer, right? But actually, so you're talking about the younger players, right? And who are you talking about? You're talking about you want to see a Lagos, you want to see a Carlton, right? My problem is, and this goes back to Bocanegra and Eels, right? And goes even further maybe to the U.S. soccer system, right? The guys who need to be being challenged for a starting position, the Parkhurst, the Lorenowitz, mm-hmm. the fact that Escobar goes down at right back. Who's our backup right back? Yeah. We don't have a single right back on the team. So what I'm wondering is, with all of the players who they've brought through the Atlanta United youth, the guys like Carlton, they signed mm-hmm. very early, right? Yeah, they have Goslin, who's supposed to be a defensive Robbins. midfielder, mm-hmm. so maybe that's one. They just signed, you know, out of the draft, the kid from, um, what's his name? I can't pronounce his name. Esiagu. Esiagu, right? Who's a defensive midfielder. But my problem is, our young hotshot guys are all attacking run at your guy, you know, midfielders. They're the same mode of Barco and Petey and Villalba and, you know, even a little bit of overlap with Gressel and, you know, where's the guy, where are we developing, and where's Darren Eels and Boca Necro? Why aren't they signing the guys who are going to challenge at the Mm -hmm. the guy who can read the game center back or the right back? Yeah, instead of, like, I mean, it's great that we got, like, a Pogba to fill the gap for the next year or so, but, like, yeah, who's the young, and I'm hoping it's George Bello and and Miles and that crew, right, that are that are going to fill that in. but Yeah, uh, Miles looks, in retrospect, like a terrific signing at yeah. this moment, but we'll see. All right, gentlemen. I think we've uh, accomplished our mission here. Thank you, <laughs> oh, Oscar. I really appreciate you joining in. No problem, dude. Thanks and, for the call. This is fun. Yeah, this has been awesome. We'll hopefully have you back here soon, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. This has been an ATL on Fire production. Hope you enjoyed. All right, soccer nerds, if you made it this far, jump on Twitter and follow us at ATL on Fire. Our website is www.atlonfire.com. Also, if you have one of those awesome Alexa Echoes, Dots, whatever they're called, uh, or one of those Google Homes, etc., you can feel free to just talk to us, say, Hey, Alexa. Listen to the latest ATL on Fire podcast or Hey Google, listen to the latest ATL on Fire podcast. Boom. There we are. You're up and running.